What's up, guys? Keenan Cornelius here. I'm back. I'm ready to give the Matt Byrne podcast my full attention once again. Shooting for the weekly uploads, the goal of every Sunday. Eventually, we'll get there. And I've got my co-host or host with me. We're equal in the hosting regards. Um, Josh Hinger is here with me. Let me just bring him in. Let me just... Uh, uh, here we go. <laughs> I've got him here on the TV monitor coming in. What's up, Josh? Do you do you read hey, me? What's up? Hey, what's up, guys? How are you guys doing? Josh, I don't Welcome. read you yet. Oh, there you are. Am I there? Yeah. yeah. What's Am up, I dude? The box? It's a TV monitor. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um. Yeah. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Mapburn Podcast, episode thirty-four. This will be the second episode of the Isolation Cast series. We had attempted. A previous episode which would have been episode number two but we were in a bit of a funk it was basically yeah. just me and josh be feeling really sad and <laughs> wallowing in self-pity so we decided not to release it to despair you guys so we're back though and ready to commit to the matt burn podcast now that i've gotten my life in order i kind of have a some, somewhat of a semblance of a plan of what i'm going to do after this pandemic p passes us I feel a little better. How do you feel, Josh? You know, I have I have good days and bad days, and I think I think everyone's in a funk right now. A very the tension is real in the world. Like it's just everywhere. Like I can feel tension when I go to the grocery store. Like I feel tension in public, even when I'm, when I'm running and I run past people, and like sometimes people eyeball you, like "What the fuck are you doing? Stay away from me!" Or, Why aren't you wearing a mask? Um. And the internet is just mad. The tension on the internet is for real. Like a lot of people are just barking at each other and like no one, like I feel like everyone, people are trying to be funny and then everyone else is taking it the wrong way and getting combative. And there's just a lot of fighting on the internet right now. I think, I think one of the, the things why the internet is such a tricky place to navigate is because there, it isn't live communication. It's like someone makes a statement or a, a uh, creates a discussion about something and then the discussion doesn't actually happen until hours or days later when it's like you can actually get the response and then it's a response based off only your preliminary ideas and like what you're trying to get across and then the actual like back and forth exchange where people clarify what each other mean doesn't happen whereas in a conversation if I say something that upsets you and you're like what wait, wait a second what and I'm like no, no no I mean it like this and then I, I lay out my thoughts and reasoning for you it then you're like for, oh that that's for clarification yeah that's that doesn't happen do. on the internet on the internet it's if you say something i don't agree with then the other person automatically says fuck you you're a piece of shit you're a libtard and i hope you die right and so in a, in a situation like this where it's like the government is involved in in this like pandemic response and it, it starts becoming politicized which it has by by the ridiculous titles and headlines of media we get into this all the time anyways but that's our life right now that's what we see our connection to the outside world is through this lens of internet discussion and internet discussion is a difficult toxic difficult toxic. thing to it's navigate it's really unproductive like do you think anyone ever convinces anyone else to change their mind on the internet i think so if it is personal like if it's one-to-one -one communication that's important or in a podcast format where it, there is a discussion happening. Like, I think that's why podcasting is such a popular medium today 
to get news or to get information because you have two people actually bouncing ideas off each other and people actively changing their views and perception during the conversation as new information is provided from each of the parties involved. And it just provides like a little bit of context to what you're seeing. Right. But then, but then the, the issue is that people take that and like split it up or take a headline or do something like it gets sucked into the vortex of craziness, you know? Context is everything. If, you, if you're listening to an entire podcast episode, you can understand the context completely and you're definitely not going to misinterpret anything. But if you jump into a thread or you read the headline of, a, of something or whatever, you know, a lot of times I think the, the context gets lost. For example, yesterday I made a satirical post uh, in regard to the drug cartels giving out uh, supplies to people. I saw that. And, yeah. And I was just shocked at how many people were like, oh, you shouldn't be endorsing the drug cartels. And I'm like, do you honestly think I was genuinely endorsing drug cartels? Fucking A, man. Dude, Who's don't fall for it. Bro? Don't fall for it. Don't even don't even go into it. I don't I looked at it, I didn't think that whatsoever. I just okay, I just thought I was like, I just was like, oh, that's interesting that that's happening down there. It is interesting. It yeah. is interesting. I understand it's been going on for a long time. People think I like just discovered this. No, man. I know. I know this happens. I know Pablo Escobar did the same thing. I know Al Capone did the same thing. I, they're trying to buy the support of the people. I'm not a fucking idiot. I understand this. I the post was a it was satirical because the drug cartels are giving things out to people when the US government is trying to give things out to people and failing. Mm. So the it's, the satire was that the drug cartels cartels are more capable of distributing goods to the people than the U.S. government. That was the satire. But no one, a few people got it. But a, a few people were just like sent me messages like, "That's not a good look." Oh my god, I can't believe you you're endorsing the drug cartels. Well, this Come is an on, interesting. Man. It's an interesting situation because it's like America's government. The United States of America's government is like most people push for a smaller government in America, right? It's like we generally don't want the government super involved in our lives. Is that correct for me to assume? Yeah, I think it's it's specifically targeted towards the federal government. They would like a small federal government and they would like m more local government in the, involved right. in their lives. Yeah. So, well, it's an interesting situation because like the federal government is the one that needs to hand out the money right now. And maybe its infrastructure isn't set up for giving out money due to a, many reasons, right? Like they just had to create this thing, which it's like, we, we, it's set up to take money. That's for sure. Like I know they want my, they want the taxes and they get them. But when you reverse the process, like right now, where the government has to like hemorrhage money back into the populace, it's tricky. Like yeah. for instance, I, I applied for the, the SBA loan, the payroll pr protection plan. Mm -hmm. the paycheck protection plan to right. uh, pay, pay, pay my employees. employees. Yeah. Cause it's like, I all like most of the members at my gym have frozen their accounts. Quite a, quite a few have continued to pay on their own volition to like support the gym. Cause it's, you know, we have this big facility and it's cost a lot of rent, but I, I applied for it the morning it became available. So I woke up at four 30 AM and I waited on the bank of America website where you can apply for the SBA loan. And right when the option popped up, I was like refreshing. Right when it popped up, I submitted my information, did the whole thing and applied. And then like six days later, some guy called me from Texas and he was like, hey, I'm just calling from the SBA department here at Bank of America. I'm trying to call people, make sure they submitted their applications and uploaded the documents. I said, yeah, I did. Thanks. So what's next? And he said, I have no idea. He said it like that. And I said, 
really? And he said, yep. No. I was like, so you don't know who I should wait for? Like, am I going to get any correspondence or like an email or like, who, what should I be looking out for next? Like, what's the next steps? He's like, I mean, I'm totally honest with you. I have no idea. They, I, it's, I, I respect that man for his honesty. Yeah. Right? And, and so get this. So, th so then I was like, okay, I, I mean, I, I respect that. Like, okay, I'll wait. Like, what else am I going to do? So we get off the phone, hang up. It's like, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. I start hearing about some people who got something. So I like look back into it to try and figure out what's going on. And I talk to my accountant and try and figure out like, what did I, did I do everything right? Or all the, is all the information here? And they're like, yeah, it looks like it's all here. So this morning I get a call at like 8 a.m. And it wakes me up and it's just some number from Oregon this time. And I answer and he's like, he didn't say where he was from. I don't know if he's from the bank or what, but, but he, he was like, hey, I'm calling to make sure that you have all the documents uploaded properly. And I said, okay, yeah, like I thought I did. Someone else called me and he said, okay, I'm looking at your account. This is missing and this is missing. I was like, okay, here they are. I just uploaded them. And he was like, okay, cool. And I'm like, so now what? And he was like, I have no idea. <laughs> he said the same thing as different the other guy. guy. Yeah. Different guy. Yeah. Different guy from Oregon. He's like, I have no idea. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like it's the, this last guy said that too. And he's like, it's changed so much over the last three weeks of like how to do this, that we're not sure what the next steps are. It's like, we're building it as we go. He was like, my job is just to make sure your file is complete. Exactly. Complete. And he was like, I, I get a new task every few days. I have to work on that task. I was working on the funding department before this. Then I was working on like confirmation of applications after that. And now I have to go back to funding tomorrow. All I can tell you is that once I get your documents and press confirm, you're in the queue. And so like now I'm in the queue for it. So Dang it. that's the situation. What about the, what about the 1200 stimulus? Did you get that? I don't get that because I make too much money. Oh, you're too rich. Yeah, which is fine. Um, I mean, I, I don't need that $1,000. I need the paycheck protection program so I can right. pay people and pay rent and stuff. Um, I know my sister got it. I know Nassar got it. Yeah, and as a contractor as well, if you if since you probably file like 1099s for sponsorships and different events that pay you, that yeah. there was something for that as well. So if you're an independent contractor, you could go and sign up for an SBA loan to like cover what you would normally be getting from your contracting services. Right. Yeah, that's what I was told to do. Yeah. So that's another so thing you can do. And then local, because as a self, as who's self-employed, we actually pay um, double taxes because I have to pay income tax and payroll tax. Right. So the way you pay payroll tax as an employer. But I am my own employee, so I pay payroll tax to myself, which yeah. sucks. I forgot to do that. I forgot to add myself as an employee, so I don't. I'm not going to get paid from this payroll <laughs> payroll protection <laughs> act. I because like the way it works is like you just when you own the business, you apparently you can kind of just like when you use money, it just is applied to your payroll for your personal thing, and it's like functions like that. So you then you put have your official amount that you take, and you just can't exceed that or something. But I, I didn't I didn't think about it because I don't get a check or something that like goes into my personal account. Or maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't admit to that. And now I'm going to get audited. I'm trying to do it right. But anyways, I'm not going to get my freaking paycheck from the government. So I think the audit is this, probably the most terrifying thing ever. Yeah. You got to do it by the book just in case the fear is looming over you. You got to just like play it smart. There was a guy that I worked for a long time ago. And he always told me he was the first person that paid me to teach jujitsu. 
And he always said, man, never fuck with the IRS. Always pay your taxes because that is a list you don't want to be on ever. Because yeah. once you're on the IRS flag list, you're on it forever. They will always scrutinize you. If you've been audited once, you're probably going to get audited again in the future. Yeah. Like, so yeah, one, one enemy you don't want. For sure. Yeah, but I, I, that was one thing I, I focused on. And I think uh, gym owners definitely make sure you did that. I think they're going for a second round of funding too because the first one ran out so fast. I don't even, even yeah. know if I got in on the first round because of how spaced out the calls were. Like maybe just now I'm getting put in on it and I'm not going to. What amount of time between the calls? It was like a couple, like a week or two between each one. It was like one week and then two weeks for the second call. So three weeks I totals. Mean, I've heard nothing. So at least you know your info's in there and you're in line. Yeah, I think it's partially because it's through the bank, not through the government. Like uh, some banks had had the process set up already. Whereas you couldn't do it through a government website. So I think my bank is just doing a good job of it. Maybe bank, bank, bank of America. Me too. I like them. A lot of people I mean, talk shit on bank of America. Yeah, I know a lot of people hate them, but um, they've been good. To but I feel like that's also just because they're, they're probably the most popular banking institution in bank in America. Right. Are they, I don't know, but they seem big. Uh, I see them everywhere. I think, I think JP Morgan's bigger. Um, but well, the more the more customers you have, the more complaints you get. That's for sure. And it, it's the yeah. ratio that's important, not the amount. It's like, I'm just thinking, of, to be honest, I don't even know. I was just thinking of stock prices because I know JP Morgan stock is way more expensive than B of A. B of A is like 22 bucks right now. Yeah. Stock is risky there? business right now. I mean, I mean, you you and you and I are both sort of uh, budding stock oh. hobbyists, I would say. No, I was a hobbyist 10, 20 years ago. Really? I'm a pro. You're a pro now? I started trading when I was 18. Wow. Because I, I took an economics course in high school and we played a fake stock market game and I just I got hooked on it. Yeah. It's and weirdly then, fun, right? It's gambling. It's like gambling. It's, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's gambling. legal gambling. It's not gambling. It's gambling if you if you cover your eyes and put your finger down and pick a stock. But yeah, it, I guess it, there's some knowledge. You have to acquire a lot of knowledge lot about of something. Money. Yeah. There's a lot of knowledge and a lot of research you can do to make the pick the right winners. Like you, there are stocks that are just massively safe. You just can't go wrong with certain stocks like Bank of America. Like that's considered a very conservative investment. Like they don't move much. They climb slowly. They decline slowly. They're just, they're not very volatile. Unlike Tesla, Tesla is crazy. Tesla's all over the place. So yeah. you can make very good investments. And Tesla Tesla was down to three seventy five at the lowest point of this thing, and now it's like back up to seven hundred. I saw that. It's crazy. Yeah. But hey, I'm not giving investment advice because I'm not allowed to do that. So don't take my advice. But there are some. Is there legality involved? Like you can't say what you're doing, or you you, you can say what you're doing, but no. you you have to put a disclaimer or what? You get think, in trouble. Yeah, I think you you cannot give people investment advice. I watched some YouTube channels. There's this guy. Um, because this is investment advice and get compensated for it. That oh, you can't get paid for it. There's this guy on YouTube I watch. His name's uh Hyperchange is his YouTube channel. And he's some young Hyper guy who Hyperchange, yeah. Hyperchange. It's a pretty cool yeah. brand name. Uh but he he's he's like a super Tesla stock nerd. There's like a whole ecosystem of YouTube channels that exist around Tesla. Like they just report on Tesla news, they report on Tesla stock and like theorize where the company's going and what it's going to do and there's a, there's a massive community it's almost like i would say it's almost equivalent to the jujitsu community size it seems like of like hardcore tesla fans and there's a whole 
niche market on YouTube for it, for like Tesla info. But this guy, he does everything, not just Tesla. And he's pretty cool. Hyper change. Check him out. I had a targeted ad that hit me the other day from Tesla. They don't do ads. Tesla does not uh, do ads. Listen, let me finish my same sentence before right. you interrupt me. Well, you're talking to a Tesla fanboy um, here, so watch the, out. I believe the product is made by Tesla, but it was being marketed by someone else. Oh, for like solar panels or something? I think it was a power wall. Power wall, yeah. Yeah, they, I, I know for the the um, that side of the business, it's done through other people. What is it? Power wall, it's like a... So solar solar power is super efficient, right? It's like one of the best forms of collecting energy. But the problem is it it there's you have to store the energy. So like you can't just have unlimited right. power at like, you know, 2 p.m. or 12 12 noon when the sun is at its peak. You need batteries. That that just is ex, you just get excess power, right? So you need batteries. And so power wall is the way to combine that. And the other thing is like solar solar won't provide power to your house in the event of a blackout unless you have batteries cuz it's connected to the grid. So like if there's a grid downage or something, your solar won't right. work. But if you have a power wall, it essentially creates your own little mini grid where right. you now have control oh, of your yeah. own power and you can sell it to the grid or right. take it from the grid if you need it. But once you have the power wall, you don't really need it anymore because it's basically one of the Tesla car batteries stuck on your wall in a power wall form. So is it big? Is it the size of a wall? No, it's like, uh, I mean, I don't know. I've never seen one in real life, but I would assume it's like the size of a really large TV and maybe a foot thick, maybe a little thinner. Okay. Like half the size of a door. Yeah. I think that's what it looks like. You're supposed to get a few of them and stack them. I think you stack them side by side, depending on your usage needs, but it's a really cool concept. I think, I, I think that's the way to go. It's like, instead of having utility companies, mass produce all the energy and store it all themselves if you could just get every house to have a power wall in it that'd be great then it's like all of, everyone can just have their power all the time right that's like airbnb taking away the need for hotels yeah it kind of it, it could phase and out traditional way, grids and way, utilities the way, yeah the way uber took away the need for taxis well that's why that's why everyone's so excited about tesla all the time and why the stock is so crazy because it's like everyone wants to put their money into the stock because they have this like crazy expansive future ahead of them but then it's like uncertain because it's like new and elon's elon and it's like all so crazy that's like power really cool and obviously we're going to need it and then there's the other side of elon which is obsessed with mars which is like way outside of our lifetime so it's like why the fuck would anyone want to invest in traveling to mars and that's going to happen you know way in the future yeah so the, the but it will make like you can sense. you can get the people to mars you just can't get a colony to mars it it's gonna take a while but like people going to mars is gonna happen within a few years heard, i would say i've heard the most challenging well i don't, I don't know Hopefully. most challenging but um i watched this documentary on netflix called mars and it's half fiction and half oh uh, I, I saw i started watching part of that that's like all based <laughs> off elon's ideas it's super good yeah right it's super good. Even the story, the fictional part is really good. Um, but trying to land on Mars is going to be a bitch because you're hurtling at that planet super, super, super fast. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have much of an atmosphere to slow you down. Yeah, you, right? need, a, you need a substantial fuel, but not as not as much as you think because you can you slow down like you, you accelerate right. until you're halfway there and then you start slowing down the, other, the second right. half. 
You know what's a really great show that demonstrated this uh, extensively is The Expanse, which is on Amazon Prime. I couldn't get through that show. It was so, such a slow I, start. I couldn't I get into it. it. I, yeah, I love the idea. So, but you can always see the ships when the ships are flo floating around through space. Whenever they whenever they have to approach a planet or whatever a station, they have to flip the ship around and then start putting reverse thrusters. Oh, yeah, or yeah. they use the same thruster but in reverse. And then they do it to they do it to just another just an amount to create a perfect amount of gravity on the ship. You know what's so right? cool about that whole thing and like why Elon has such a crazy following like that is because when you actually start getting into it and start researching how it's going to be done, you learn about all these crazy technologies that have been developed over the last decade that a lot of people don't even know exist. Like they have ion thrusters, like some some like futuristic type shit. It's an ion thruster. It's a, it's a slow thruster, right? But it no, it well, well, it starts slow. That's the thing that's weird about it. Is it's essentially right. it's something to do with ionizing xenon atoms and shooting electrons out the back of the the thruster, and right. it, they're 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 propelled out at such a speed that even though they have such a tiny infinitesimal mass, it's still some mass, and so it it's, it's a I, very slow acceleration. It's a very slow acceleration, but you can reach really high speeds eventually. But when you, yeah, when you you maintain that acceleration for months on end, yeah, it, then it starts to compound. On I'm not, and I'm not sure if that's like the technology that is going to be used for interplanetary travel, but it seems like that's a good. I, I think it's they they use that in the Starlink satellites and in a lot of satellites now as like repositioning engines because the fuel lasts much longer. Than if you were to use right. like compressed air or something, I'm not really you know sure. What, of one, the... one thing I learned from that show is that the colony cannot be established on the surface of Mars, but it has to be inside a cave of some sort. Right. I always wondered my. I always wondered how if it would just be smarter to just like send ships there and just live in the ships. But apparently, but the they want to get the ships back. But the radiation is a problem. You can't live in the ship because the radiation is going to eat the ship away and radiation will go through the ship and into your body and into your DNA. But aren't they going to be traveling through space for a few months anyways? But it's, yes. I guess for long, long term, it's just not enough shielding on the ship. I think it's eight months, yeah. And if they happen to get blasted with a solar flare on accident during that trip, they're going to get super fucked. Okay, but now you can't you can't get enough equipment in there to like really dig massive subterranean tunnels no there's there's caves that already exist so they're gonna hide it they're just gonna like set up shop they're in called, a cave they're called lava plumes if mm. you watch the show this is the mars show or the expanse show Mar mars okay. a show called mars so the, and they talk about it and they, the scientists the real scientists in the world they actually talk about it in between the the sets of the fictional show and they say look you cannot deploy the colony on the surface like you can have equipment up there but humans cannot live up there for a very long period of time, maybe a year or two years at most, the radiation is going to ultimately cause problems. They need to be underground. And those lava plumes from when the planet was forming or, or whatnot, I don't know, but there's just basically volcanoes, right? Little volcano holes. And uh, you can go inside these holes and basically find a cave or, or a cavern and try to set up shop inside there. And then you put all your solar equipment up on the surface to collect solar rays and create energy you can put all your machinery up at the top of the surface, but you definitely need to have the humans underground. Right. I recommend everybody check it out. It's called Mars. Yeah, since everyone's got a lot of time on their hands too, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, just start researching like what the plans are to go to Mars. Like actually look into what Elon Musk's plans are. They're incredibly in-depth. 
the technology being used is really insane and his mass development of his starship idea is one of the greatest undertakings mankind has ever done and it's this private company doing it which is so insane like is that the ship going to get us to mars yeah it's his it's his goal of having a reusable rocket ship fully reusable like you just fuel it up you you take off you uh launch your payload into space it returns back and lands using the same propulsion propulsion force have you seen that movie ad astra with brad pitt no but that sounds good is it a science it's fiction so fucking good it's ad so good. astra ad astra it's latin it means to the stars and it's so fucking good it's it's non-stop action oh it's the, oh it's this movie it's like about him like trying to find his dad or something yes yes it's so good that's cool um yeah i want to watch I that I made a note of it i won't say anything about it but it's definitely very exciting from the very beginning and all the way to the end um and they kind of cut out all the boring bullshit in the middle so it's like literally it's action scene after action scene after action scene um but yeah it was interesting because on the show they have a, a moon colony <clears throat> and then so if you want to get to mars you rocket from earth to the moon land on the moon then you go around to the back side of the moon you take another rocket you shoot from the moon and you land on mars and then if you want to go further out beyond mars into the solar system you go to the back side of Mar well, mars is orbiting but um at some point you jump on a rocket from mars and then you launch yourself out into the deeper solar system from there spooky stuff it's cool it's super cool and i think brad pitt did a really good job because he's like uh He's like an emotionless human. Like nothing bothers him. Like even he, when he goes through these very extreme situations, uh, the command center is like, like your heart rate never goes above this certain level. And he's he's just like the he's most just a badass. Like, he's the most dialed and focused dude. Yeah, he just doesn't give a fuck. Nothing nothing makes him nervous. Even when people are shooting at him, he's just like reporting the facts back to his base. You know, it's like, oh, we're taking enemy fire now, and like bullets are literally flying past. So his there's head. enemies in space, dude. Don't give away any more spoilers. I want to watch this. Don't it's tell so me. Oh, cool. Anymore. Yeah, they're space pirates. <laughs> I I love the idea of futurism. Futurism is one of the coolest things you can look into. As like, it's like fiction still, but it's like based on what could be. Possible. Which it's is possible. so fun to think about. And it, right, it's right. like, it makes me almost feel sad because it's such so exciting and there's all this amazing technology and how it could be used if we j can just like focus on it and get it up up there. So I'm reading Elon's book that I stole from you, his uh, biography. It's great, right? And, yeah. And they were always saying that he would, he was, uh, he's very interesting. And they were saying like, you know, as a child, he would just go into the zone, right? And just stare off into space, you know, like you could see the wheels turning inside of his head. And I wonder if that's what he was thinking about. If he was just like staring off into space and just thinking like of all the possibilities, you know, in his little brain, his little eight-year-old brain. Yeah. If you, if you l listen to his philosophy, it almost seems like he just calculated what he needed to do on the grandest scale possible. Like he's like, okay, humanity eventually will meet some sort of extinction event. I'm going to save us. And this is my it's plan. That's like what, that's literally what he's doing. It's like, but not only that, it's like, he wanted to reignite the passion that we had in, you know, the late 19th century for space travel and this whole, like all of America being super hyped on the space program. And then it kind of just fizzled out. And then he's like reigniting it himself. Yeah, just, just um, like Tesla has a massive online community for, uh, on YouTube for Tesla. There's also one for SpaceX where you can watch like all of their 
they have guys going out there with drones and like recording the construction of the starships and recording like progress on the new factories and build outs that you do. You can literally go in and see day by day what is being worked on by this community of people. And then there's like news news shows, kind of like what we have, but it's like it would be me sitting here and being like, guys, we got a lot on the table today. Tes- uh, Tesla's doing this, this, and this. The new Cybertruck Gigafactory is coming out. And then uh, Starship Mark IV blew up last night on the launch pad. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> hey, when are we going to see the truck? When's the, when's the truck coming out? Who knows, dude? You should know. You should know. You're the guy. You're the Tesla guy. I think they, they haven't even started building the factory where the Cybertruck is going to be made. I think they oh. it's going to take a couple of years. So they have to construct the Gigafactory just for Cybertrucks, and then they start making it. Gigafactory. Yeah, the factories are called Gigafactories because they're these massive factories designed from the ground up to be machine creation factories of these, these Electra, electric vehicles and spaceships. So, um, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I want I want to change gears now. Okay. Also, if you're into if you don't know what futurism is, or you've never heard of it, or you're into it, the idea of like what mankind is potentially capable of, there's an awesome YouTube channel. It's called Isaac Arthur. It's this guy named Isaac Arthur who's got to be one of the most studied individuals I've ever witnessed listening. Like he seems to just know about everything, like every possible scientific experiment that's been done and potential technologies and past technologies and like the philosophy of humans going to space or dealing with like these the great filters as they're called of like global warming or even a pandemic scenario that could potentially stop humanity from expanding off of earth and he, he makes these massive like documentaries based off scientific like real scientific data and what could potentially be possible with it and goes into a ton of really complex ideas that are probably hard to understand if you just see them at face value, but like the Fermi paradox or like superstructures in space, what, what is possible, what isn't. And kind of just, he kind of basically just takes science fiction and then makes it science fact, you know, like what, what is fact from fiction in science fiction? And you'd be surprised that a lot of it is science fact too, even in science fiction, it's just a matter of time. You're thinking of science nonfiction. Science, whatever. Science, well, yeah, science fact is a paradox. It's not, nothing can be science fact in science. Non-fiction. Science nonfiction, yeah. What's his name? Isaac Arthur. Just Arthur. YouTube Isaac Arthur. He's got an awesome channel. It's, you just got to get super high and watch his videos because it's an incredibly there mind are, opening experience. There are a lot of useful skills that you can learn on YouTube. Bro, what do you think I do every day? I literally spend hours a day just watching videos on YouTube and learning stuff on YouTube. It's all I've ever done my whole life. I'm entirely YouTube educated from jujitsu to technology to mathematics. Everything I learned was not through a conventional education system. Yes, I know. And Uh I think it's very effective. But you have to have like some intrinsic motivation to go seek it out. So what's the most interesting new skill that you developed in the past month on based uh, on your YouTube research? Skill-wise, I think just a better understanding of economics. I've been watching a lot of okay. videos on the economy and how uh, past recessions and depressions worked and how the Fed prints money to counteract a lot of those things and the side effects of what, what printing money does to savings versus what it does to debt. 
and how when inflation happens, it actually helps people in debt and hurts people who have savings. Yeah. Inflation. was one of the things that was very interesting to me and kind of made me because I've always been kind of like a cash hoarder. Like I have this like when I make money, I try and like save it and I just put it away in my bank and I don't want to put it in risky things. And I don't want to like make big purchases because I'm I'm like afraid of losing this like nest egg because I was trying to build up towards my gym. You know, there's my whole my whole plan with jujitsu has been to like save up this nest egg to open the gym. And then I opened the gym and then the pandemic struck. So it's like this massive like blockade that just hit in front of my life lifetime aspirations a massive fuck you from nature yeah so so that kind of made me realize like i mean i in a way i had to do it and i didn't have the knowledge to put that money anywhere else like i didn't know how to invest it really other than in my like in the, like i don't know myself like hiring people to help me with my website and stuff you built your website yeah so like that was kind of it but i was like saving this money for a long time and like in a it's actually good that I invested it into the gym when I did, because if I'd waited until after the pandemic, that money would have been inflated, right? So it would have been worth less than it actually was prior to yeah. pandemics, right? The inflation rate's pretty low. I think it's around one, it's between one and 2% a year. Yeah, well, that was the other thing I saw on economics is you, apparently something like this has happened before in Japan, like an, a similar uh, economic issue due to um, the birth rate there. And this, I'm, I'm recalling these facts just from some video I watched, but, or not, I shouldn't even say the facts there. I keep using that word, but it, I saw some information that I, that's Never what I garnered it. from it. I garnered that there was a economic, there's been ep economic turmoil through a lack of birth rate and the, how the government there was dealing with it in a similar way by printing money and that the actual, um, <laughs> I'm holding up my, my vape pen, the actual, uh, so, like inflation versus the value of a product, right? Like if the inflation goes up, the value of the product should also go up, but it doesn't, it goes down and that kind of counteracts the inflation. Does that make sense? Like if uh, there, if, if the, if money is inflating. Yes. It's losing value. The cost, the cost of services don't necessarily match the cost or match the the difference in value well, of money well what happened is people would raise the prices for their services so that they believe they they're they're receiving the same amount of money because money is only valuable because it has purchasing power right if mm -hmm. money doesn't have purchasing power it's useless right so you have to have someone who will give you something for your money yes and if the money is being inflated it's losing value so then what happens is people start raising the prices of the products. And well, so so what this video was saying was actually is a lot of people were lowering the prices of the products. So they were lowering the prices of the products because they weren't selling anything because the economy was in under duress. Right. And so people were kind of saving their money more. So people lowered the prices of their products. And that in turn kind of counteracted so the called, negatives. So demand went down. So the yeah. prices have to go with the demand. And in that, it it showed that like the inflation wasn't really a big deal overall. And that, that, that basically the purpose of the video was to talk about how inflation isn't like this horrible thing that just like devalues everything and ruins economies. It's actually just part of it, and it, it, you kind of grow with it as an as a society. Right, because the country is constantly increasing its GDP, also. So yeah. the economy is growing. So like for example, an economist that I I took a class with in grad school, he said. Do you know, uh, and this is when we were having the debt ceiling debates a long time ago. And this guy, this guy is smart. This guy is fucking smart. He built government systems all over the world. And um, 
Mike Sol. That was his name, Mike Sol. And he said, do you, do you guys know when the U.S. took a loan out uh, during the Civil War? Okay. We were fighting the, the, the North and the South, right? And, the, and they took out money to use to fight the South. And they took out bonds, right? So people, the public purchased the bonds and the government um, took the money to fight the war. And then they have to pay the money back, right? The government, just like, just like a human, like you or me, has to pay our credit card bill. You can make the, mo- the minimum monthly payment. The government does that too to its debt. They make the minimum monthly payments, right? So we don't default. And he said, do you guys know when the U.S. government paid off its debt from the Civil War? When? And some people the people raised their hands and were taking guesses. And he was like, nope, nope, nope. And the answer was never. Mm-hmm. We never paid it off. We just make Who the minimum. Who was it taken from? Who was it loaned from? The, the public. Okay. The government issues bonds and the public buys the bonds. And the bonds have a you know, 2 or 3% interest rate or whatever. So when the government is making the payments to the bondholders, it's going back into the public. It could be also, it could be China too, you know, like other governments can buy bonds from, from uh, our government. Which we're seeing is a problem, isn't it? Like it's bad in situations like this, where it's like, there's this well, situation like, where if, China if you me, could be held responsible owed, for the whole thing and they own me, so much. I know I shouldn't have said China, but they do, they do buy yeah, the bonds. I understand. They do, they do, it's it's yeah. what I, what I garnered from Wait, my, my, done. Okay. So all you're just excited because you actually are uh, you have degrees in this subject, so you know what you're talking about. What I'm talking about. No. So I'm just saying we've never paid off the the debt because the debt from the Civil War was like ten thousand dollars. It was fucking nothing. Oh really? And so, well, think about it. It was the 1800s. So like, what is a hundred thousand dollars now? Was ten thousand dollars back then? Okay. Right. Yeah. Maybe we took out a few million dollars back in the 1800s, and and that is equivalent to like billions now. And we just made our minimum payments every month for years and years and years. And now if you think about it, the minimum payment to pay off, you know, that million dollar debt from over a hundred years ago, it's nothing. It's, it's pennies. It'd be like you making it. Oh, a I see. So you're saying that inflation actually helps pay off these debts because the debt amount stays the same and doesn't grow with inflation. Yeah, it becomes irrelevant. Like it's just so small compared to the size of the economy that's grown over the years. So even still, World War II bonds, we took out debt for World War II. Like, we haven't paid that back yet. We're just making minimum payments on the debt. And then hopefully we the economy will continue to grow. And those minimum payments that our government is required to make will become less and less significant. There's going to be like you making a five-cent payment on your $25 credit card balance, you know, like 100 years later. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, ugh, what's the word? Um, economies of scale. It's like, for example, a child thinks they're rich when they have 20 bucks, right? You give a child 20 bucks, they're like, I'm rich. I'm going to retire. I'm out. I'm done. Because in a child's life, it doesn't have bills. It doesn't have big, big things to pay for. Like the, the candy bar is a large purchase for a child, right? But as you get older, you make more money, you make bigger purchases. Your scale, your economy of scale becomes bigger. That makes sense? Yes. I'm just so I'm looking the- through my YouTube history to see what else I learned. Um, and I'm just still, I'm still just like flow grappling is just is repost reposted some old video of me and it's like presented almost as if, as if it's recent. Does it have a real clickbaity clickbaity? Yeah. They just posted the same title that they posted a year ago, like two and a half years ago when we recorded this, they said, Nogi is imploding because of leg locks and wrestling. (laughs) 
he got 30,000 views, this old clip. They just reused this old clip, and 30,000 people wanted to know what I had to say about Nogi's imploding. And is there like a hundred comments of people? Is, but isn't that, is, that's, that's just so indicative of the freaking problem of the internet. It's like, it's all about clicks. This, this whole organism runs off like baiting people into clicking on something rather than the actual con like s content. Like you can't advertise how good the content is. You can only advertise in this a hundred character limit title. <laughs> and you have to use right. that hundred character limit to get as, as, uh, as interesting of subject matter as you can and then drag people in and if the content's good that's bonus points but if it's bad it doesn't matter it's still got the click how many times how many times have you seen a fire a fiery title and you're like ooh, and you clicked it and then you got into the content of it and i was like this is shit this is nothing all over the internet it's like that it's pretty shit <laughs> it's pretty and it it sucks because then it forces everyone to do that because you can't compete against it you can't compete against it by by putting a, an accurate headline like I can't be like a reasonable headline. Yeah, something that's like very clear of like what's in the video. Like it has to like be somewhat accurate, but it's got to be sensationalized to like create some stir. And then when you do that, there'll always be comments like clickbait, clickbait. This is clickbait. But then if you don't do that, no one watches the video right. to say it's clickbait. So it's like this right. weird paradox. It's like, well, you're you 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 commented this because I did a clickbaity title. <laughs> But it's a, it, like hey. clickbait is no longer even an issue because everything is clickbait. Every single headline you see, every news title, every YouTube thing, it's always some some sort of clickbaity thing across all platforms, it seems like. I agree. Even podcasts. You have to. Once it goes on YouTube, it's got to be like that. Oh, but anyways, I was going to say. I don't make clickbaity titles. Well, that's why you've got no viewers, dude, on YouTube. you got to <laughs> fucking spice it up a little. It doesn't have to be like clickbait has a really negative connotation, but what it really means is just like be creative in your title. Like say something different, say something that like makes people think like, oh, I've never seen that before. That's all it is. It's like a novelty engine. You got to just create some novelty because the content can be novel, but if you don't use a novel title to match the novel content, it's not going to get viewed. So you can have an, an, uh, a piece of content that isn't novel. It's been around like flow grappling. Clearly, it doesn't have to be novel content, but if you use a novel right. title or what appears to be a novel title, it creates viewership. It's such an interesting dynamic, and I hate it so much. But the other thing I've been looking into a lot on my YouTube studies is the Chinese government. Oh, God. Okay. I don't want to get into it, but it is really interesting. Neither do I. Yeah, it's so crazy. I, have, I would like to talk about some jujitsu stuff. It's like a, it's like a real life conspiracy theory that is like hushed somehow, and it's like politically incorrect to talk about it, even though it's so crazy. What is actually happening? Like, how did this government entity that controls this entire country hide all that shit, and or not even hide it? It's like publicly available information, but no one talks about it. Uh, question real quick. So crazy. Um, before I say something, um, did I talk about that formula in the last episode that we didn't post? What formula? I did. The formula that predicts how long a secret can stay secret. Oh, yeah, you did talk about it in the last. It was in the last episode, huh? Yeah. That's well, that doesn't, that doesn't matter if you have a, a, a your entire regime sure. built around management of media and like censorship yeah China has a special case it's a, it's an authoritarian regime and then it's now with the global communication of the internet they can actually do that on the internet like there's nothing stopping people from pushing propaganda on the internet like a government can use the internet for propaganda just as easily as anyone else can 
use it for ads. Like, but no one really pushes propaganda as much or not. No one. I, I use absolutes all the time, but it's much less in modern culture to like use government propaganda. But like, why not? It seems like chi- like the Chinese government that the China, not the Chinese government because they're separate. The Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government are separate entities. Did you know that? It's just like one is like face huggered onto the other that like yeah, plays the puppet master a, of the Chinese yeah. government. No, we have a government and then we have political parties. Yeah. And so so does China, kind of. Well, no, they have political party and you're not allowed to <laughs> you're not allowed to have another party because if you are something that is even considered another party, they just like wipe you out like the fallen gong. Right. They'll hold elections where only one person is is running. A yeah. lot of countries do this. How many what other um, countries do that? Oh, I don't know. I was going to say Turkmenistan, but um, eh, maybe Uzbekistan. I yeah, not a lot of countries, that's for sure. Yeah, not a, a few. Okay, more, than, more than one. They it's just, it. It but what's so dangerous about it, in my opinion, and as it, this, I've honestly, I've been on this, this scent for a long time, but I never talked about it. But now that like everyone's kind of also on the same page, I want to talk about it because it's, I've always been tripping out over it, like how that exists. But like with their whole corruption of the World Health Organization and the UN that's happening. Have you read up on this? Have you seen this? No. Bro, it's crazy. And you you sound annoyed because it's like, oh, it's like it sounds conspiracy theorist, but it's not. No, no. The information's there. You can find it and look it up. It's fucking crazy. It's like a series on the last episode that we didn't post. It's like a. Just go ahead and jump into it, Keenan. I don't want to get into it too much. I'm going to let people do their own research on it, but you should read about it. You got to. Like, what? You sound like someone when you said that. Look Look into into it. it. Yeah, it's weird because you have to speak about it almost in conspiracy terms, but it's not a conspiracy. It's just like that's how they run their country. It's like. So the question that I posed to you in the last episode, which is. And it's not about the Chinese people, by the way, like. It's just that they're almost powerless, it seems like, to have a say in anything. No, they can't because if they say something, they die. Yeah, they get they get disappeared or they just get there. If there's any talk on social media about anything, they just delete it. It's like they can, in Turkmenistan, if you say anything about the government, you go straight to prison. Your family might join you in prison. And when you're in prison, they don't feed you. And depending on what you say, you might just die. Or you're just gonna sit in prison forever. And they're not going to bring you food and your family has to bring you food and you may or may not get that food and you're going to be stuck in that prison forever because you said the president has a stupid haircut. Yeah. There's a, there's a, like Thailand, I think is similar. Thailand has a weird, a weird sort of monarchy mm-hmm. king situation. No, I disagree. The Thai people actually love their king a lot. I know. I think there's a new king, bro. You haven't heard about the new Thai king? That retreat. They retreated off to the hills with his harem during the pandemic. <laughs> what? Yeah. Anyways, because I, 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 I some the last person I talked to about this said that too, but then from what I was looking at, like apparently, there's some new guy. I don't know. I'm not that deep in on the the world scale level of geopolitical events, but that's something I heard about. Anyways, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? Uh, China. Releasing the virus from a virology lab in Wuhan. By favorite, I mean most entertaining. I I think that's incredibly entertaining. I think the conspiracy theory, let's call it that, of the Chinese Communist Party and what they can do with the internet 
and their whole method of operation of censorship and propaganda and influencing massive organizations like the World Health Organization, the UN, that's just insane to me. Like the level, it's like this, it's cyber warfare to the extreme. And it seems like the rest of the, like at least, well, Donald Trump certainly didn't seem to notice anything weird about it until recently, but it's pretty crazy what you can do. Just like, like it's like having bot accounts. Like they're on Twitter. They have the 50 cent army or whatever. Have you heard of the 50 cent army? It's a real mm -hmm. thing. And there you can go and see interviews from people who work in the 50 cent army for the, the Chinese Communist now Party too. What is, what is the 50 Cent Army? It's a apparently there's like about 10 million people that work for the Chinese military, and their job is to go and post pro-China comments on Twitter and different social medias, and they get paid they 50. To, they, post? they post stuff or comment stuff like on Reddit, and they're supposed to they get paid a certain amount per post, and then they also have to go and delete post within their censorship circle it's so it's so insane like there's so much to it and you can dig into it as deep as you possibly want and it's not like some a very small amount of small amount of it is speculative there's a lot of crazy stuff and it's and it's, it's almost like they've infiltrated more than organizations but also media outlets media outlets it, it, are, are won't say stuff about bad stuff about China and it's because of, of this course. whole buyout thing. It's like you can buy corporations in the US and then own imagine, them. Imagine Trump had total authority. What do you think he would do to CNN? Just delete them. He would burn, burn <laughs> yeah, it to the just, ground. Just yeah, get them out of there. Yeah. Party does. Yeah, of course. If, the, if there's if an immediate outlet dares to say anything that's not in line with the party, they're going to burn to the ground. Yeah, and that, that that's that's the the point of it all. It's like you have to like free speech is so important and that's what sucks about social media is it's there large groups of people even if they're not a majority, they can just be so loud on social media over a specific instance that it like discourages people from ha ha exercising their right of free speech. Like what happened to Gordon over the uh training thing. Like basically he like for that day he received so much backlash about his opinion on the training during quarantine. The training during quarantine thing that it they like all retracted their posts, and I was part. I I also got kind of upset at it, but really there needs to be a discussion that that occurs after that, not like just like uh, ignoring the the issue. It's like let's discuss it. Let's like actually present our points from both sides, and then come to a conclusion that everyone can agree on, which is what's happening now. Essentially, is just like. That's a nice segue into the question that I've been trying to ask you for like the past 20 well, minutes. Well, let me, let me finish my thought and then uh, hold that thought okay. and let me finish mine. Okay. Basically, it was like we should close early was the idea to prevent deaths. And then it was other people were like, don't just don't close at all. So it was like those were the two sides of it. Close early or don't close at all. And obviously, it's going to be an answer somewhere in, the, in between. It's like you can't stop completely, but you also can't continue as normal completely it's going to be an in-between thing but just the nature of people is to identify with one side or the other and then that creates a black and white when it never is black and white it's gray just like right now it's like we have to figure out a solution where it's like we transition back into an open economy with you should write that down actually protection in place always gray what in a black and white world the answer is always gray that's that's probably been said before is it? Yeah, I mean, that's black and white is like a very common way to describe that idea. 
Okay, let's write it down. But the issue is discussion. That's I, I realize it now. The issue is discussion. There needs to be discussion across ideas and not well, no, shit. That's what yeah. the fucking academics. Okay, do. but we, you and you and I have been so pissed off at the internet for so long because of comments <laughs> and backlash over yeah. stuff. But the problem yeah, is that, that it's because there's no ability to actually communicate. Well, you can't have a discussion with an internet troll. And on the internet and like human emotion, instead of having the discussion, you just write that person off forever. Like what Gordon has done to me is just like, like blamed me for these absurd things. And then instead of having a discussion, he won't respond to my messages even to have the discussion, but moving past that, that is the issue of the internet. He's not exactly known as an intellect, is he? Right. But in the intellectual world, in the academia uh, world, you know, people write essays. This is what what professors do. They write essays, they present their argument, and then another professor writes an essay back, and he breaks. He, he either agrees or disagrees, and they do it in a very respectful way. And then there's maybe a third professor that watched these first two essays, and he's like, "No, I'm gonna throw in my two cents." And he writes an essay and publishes it, and then he refers back to the other ones. Yeah, I love that. Question. It's just something That's beautiful about the that. S- is called academic discourse okay well i think that jiu-jitsu would benefit from greatly political discourse obviously doesn't follow those same routes but any sort of discussion is good if there's any sort of back and forth exchange of ideas that's great unless it'll become very apparent what idea is better as points are presented but the problem is that just points aren't presented but the internet can't do that because uh, yeah, the second the you post can't. something that someone disagrees with the first comment is you're a fucking idiot and you're a shit yeah you can't it's not like well what if or what if this happens or how about this? It's always just like, <laughs> there's, no, there's no, there's no repercussions. People are venting their frustrations on these comment boards. My, they're not even trying to have a discussion. They're just literally, they have this pent up aggression and this rage that they're just bottled up inside of them. And the only outlet they have is the internet. So the second they see someone write something that they don't agree with, they just viciously bite their fucking face off with their words. They're not even trying to have a discussion. They just want to like, bash someone to make themselves feel better that would be interesting i wonder what the i think my little sister took a course on this in her communications theory classes my mom specialized in communications theory in college too and my little sister kind of was studying some stuff about the internet and communication theory and we had a conversation about that in the past and just kind of like identifying what causes all of that and it really opens your mind i would like to look into it more it's just such a new thing and as the internet becomes a a bigger and bigger place for communication, but money is still involved and the money push like tries to suppress the communication to increase ad revenue. <laughs> it's like this awful cap, like capitalism kind of causes the issue in some way. And then per- people's emotions and just human flaw and error and the ability for someone who has no, um, what's the term? Like no expertise in a subject, being able to put their, opinion into a subject that maybe people with expertise are talking about is this crazy it's like the discussion just becomes so convoluted because you can't have the people who need to have the discussion have the discussion unless you're really going out of your way to find that discussion happening somewhere in some dark corner of the internet where they don't go on social media and they actually have the scientific discussion (laughs) you can't find that and so then the people who do find that say it online and then it's instantly refuted as you're not an expert well, none of us are experts. Right. Exactly. No, none of us are experts. So how do you know? Well, l- watch this. Fuck that. I didn't fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking accurate. That's how it happens. 
<laughs> and then it's like so when you finally get want to just put your own opinion that isn't based on off expertise or some experts like not, instead of regurgitating some experts facts on it or their theory on it and you put out your own opinion then you can't have your own opinion either for the same reason so you can't put out someone else's probably right opinion because they're an expert you can't put out your own opinion because everyone is just going to chastise you for having an opinion because there's no discussion like the like you, yesterday i had to i had to archive a post um I, so i found this bruno lima um who's this really awesome like jujitsu scholar basically like he, he basically just searches the internet for references of jujitsu across all cultures and where it came from and who trained in different areas during like the 19th century as Brazilian jiu-jitsu was evolving in Brazil. He's a jiu-jitsu historian. He's a jiu-jitsu historian, yes. That's exactly what he is. And it's jiu-jitsu history doesn't really agree with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu narrative, right? Oh, this There's, is Robert Dreisel's entire history um, master's thesis. He wrote a whole thesis on this. Really? Well, yeah, he, he made a documentary called The Close Guard. It's literally about this. It's, it's about out. the history of jiu-jitsu. I don't know if it's out. It's it's done. I know it's, it was being edited last I heard about it. But yeah, he made a whole documentary on the other hit side of Brazilian jiu-jitsu history that no one's ever heard. Yeah, the well, there, I, I haven't watched it, but I would definitely I'm very interested in that. I love jiu-jitsu history. And part of the part of my like looking into jiu-jitsu history is also one of the big conflicts I have with my fan base <laughs> because there's the the MMA narrative of what jiu-jitsu is which is predominantly focused on the Gracie family. And then there's what jujitsu is based on overall application of the sport across all countries and cultures and time and what happened there. And then like just identifying those key, key figures in it, like uh, Yuki Tanai and some of the other Japanese grapplers who are almost like uh, diplomats of jujitsu or not, is, is it a diplomat? Not a diplomat, a, uh, ambassador of jiu-jitsu across the world in different areas representative representative whatever but a lot of stuff tr like happened parallel to the gracie family popularizing jiu-jitsu it just didn't become popular so it's like it obviously right, they didn't make the, the same impact well because the gracies made the ufc yeah and it's like we should UFC i have is why anyone right and it, it, it's it's like i am doing jiu-jitsu probably because of the gracies and the, that's probably the same for most people and that doesn't that shouldn't be discounted and it shouldn't be a point that it's like anyone's trying to refute but it's like why can't we talk about the other stuff too so i, I posted something the other day and it's like i got such a backlash from the brazilian community that i wasn't allowed to just talk about I mean, obviously I'm allowed to. It's just how I perceive the comments. But I wanted to just tone it down for a second because it got really crazy in the comments. So I just archived the post to not let it just divulge into absolute chaos and toxicity. But basically, there's this this guy named Lynn Lenoise. Lynn Lenoise? Lynn Lin, no, Lynn Lanius, I believe, who actually started something called American Jiu-Jitsu. even wrote a book called American Jiu-Jitsu. Would you believe that if I told you that? That... A, if you told me, I believe it. You believe it? Well, it's real, and you can find the book online. And I posted a screenshot that Bruno has sent me this. Bruno, incredible. I can't wait for him to come to the U.S. I really want him to come to Legion because he's so fun to be around because he just knows so much stuff about all this. Hey, quick question. Yeah. Before you, if I look to my left down, does it look like I'm looking at you? Yeah. Okay. So you're on my left side? That's right. Okay. Go ahead. I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it kind of looks like I'm looking at you, not really. 
But anyways, this okay. guy, he was like a wrestler from Ohio and mm-hmm. he was it was it's kind of similar to the Helio Gracie story, which is funny. It's all it, he, they even describe him as like a frail boy. The doctor said he wasn't going to be able to live past 25 or something because of his ailments, but he started wrestling and then eventually transitioned into wrestling in circuses and then started taking like prize fights in like the from the 18 eight, I think he was born in like 1860 or something. Uh, he started taking prize fights through the late 1800s and then eventually started studying jujitsu from some sort of interaction with the Japanese. I'm not sure if it was through a, like any sort of wartime issue, maybe World War One or something. I, it doesn't go into detail in his book because there's just a brief biography in it. And you can't find that much information about the guy. Um, but basically, he started developing his own style of jujitsu based off Japanese jujitsu, and he called it first Yankee jiu-jitsu, like he personally <laughs> referred to it as Yankee jiu-jitsu, but then published a book called American jiu-jitsu. And it's got these pretty, like, it's actually interesting because he, he he makes more of an effort to change the movements than the Gracies did, but they're clearly less effective. Like the more he- Was he wearing, was he wearing a gi? Some, some images, he's wearing a gi. I could show you, you want me to pull it up on the screen? Should I show people? I don't know. I mean, I can, sh- I can reference it. I'll pull it up. And I'll read it to you. Let me just make sure I can find it. What was his name again? Len Lanius. So check this out. I'm going to switch the scene here so we can look at this. Do you want to see it as well? I can make it so you can see it. Why not? Um, Eventually we'll have the production studio do this. Can you see my screen? I found the article about the... uh... The conspiracy theories in the form. Can you see this? Can you draw on my screen? Uh, yes, I can. All right. So, how do I? Okay. So it's this guy. It's it's an actual book. Here. American Jiu Jitsu: The Art of Self Defense, published nineteen twenty two is when this book came out. Here's the the thing I was reading. With an I, also not J U Jitsu. Did he spell it correctly? Yeah, J-I-U Jitsu, which is, I, I'm curious of like the etymology of this name because in Japanese it's J-U, right? Yeah. So should I read this to you? I mean, you don't have to. I can Here, see Here's it, a but... brief bio of him. I'll read it real fast because I, I feel like uh, I like Born reading. In okay, Born ahead. in or about 1865 in Cincinnati, Len Lanius, I, mean, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, shined shoes and sold newspapers to help support his family as a boy, his father having died of tuberculosis. Lanius began wrestling at the age of 12 over objections that he was a sickly boy who was not expected to live past his 20s. Wrestling, however, provided the medicine which contemporary science could not, and Lanius flowered into a champion athlete, boasting that he had once run had a run of 70 matches without a fall. Lanius turned his professional wrestling attentions to the vaudeville circuit, where he toured as a professional wrestler, eventually retiring and joining his efforts to the sports staff with the Cincinnati Post. Lanius claimed to have held the title of lightweight champion wrestler of the world, which would have been around 1890, although no firm documentation has yet been uncovered for this title. However, documentation of at least one of his professional wrestling matches places him as the winner in 1894. Sometime after the famous Gotch-Hackenschmidt matches of 1908, which apparently are other former pro wrestlers at the time, Lanius mm-hmm. started developing his American jiu-jitsu. And in his own words, you can read this right here, there's a little bit of uh, derogatory oh. commentary here, which is indicative of the time. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, their methods were baffling, he says, and he wanted to develop a style that is a defense of their attack. So he didn't necessarily like use their moves. And in this book, I'll show you some of these movements. Uh, in March of 1921, he demonstrated his creation, Yankee Jiu-Jitsu, to the Rotary Club. And then again in 1920, uh, again in June of 1921, demonstrated his Jiu-Jitsu to the Kiwanis, which I don't know what that is. But then he published his most important contribution, this book, American Jiu-Jitsu. And then throughout that time, towards, towards the end of his life, he wasn't really focused on wrestling and you, his Jiu-Jitsu. You should take a picture of that guy and put it on your wall and bow to <laughs> That's it. That's what I... <laughs> <laughs> See, so here's the thing, too. It's like I, I, when I made my post, I wasn't trying to say, like, look, this guy replaces crazy Jiu-Jitsu. Like, obviously not. I'm just talking about like, look, stuff happened in parallel and it's important that we can talk about it. All right. Like, why can't we talk about it? Why does it have to be stifled by it shouldn't be? It, shouldn't be. it has to be talked about. It has to. It's too cool. And he literally uses the name American Jiu Jitsu. So let's scroll down to here's his signature. Uh, with kindest regards from the author, Lynn Lanis, November 3rd, 1922. Oh, interesting. American Jiu Jitsu, the new art of self-defense by Lynn Lanius. And this was the guy. Oh, that's him. Yeah. That was the that would be the picture you bowed to if jujitsu yeah. caught if American jujitsu caught on in the U.S., which it did it not. Be, you had to practice it wearing that suit. And I too. and a part of that, which needs to be stated, is in Brazil they made it like a serious sport. Like it became like this massive thing of like challenging people and fighting people. And the Gracies fought all these Japanese guys, and there's this these epic conflicts, like with the Gracies winning and losing, like across the board. And it created an amazing culture in Brazil. And that's why, as a country, it's known as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, even in America, because it just became such an integral part of their country, just like judo is in Japan, really. Um, Drysdale knows a lot about that. We should have, we really should have had him on for this one. I don't know where we're going to get into it. Well, we can, we can do it. He probably knows a lot more about it, so we could get you know, him on in the future. I mean, Anyways, yeah. he talks about the same stuff, like... Uh, gradually elaborated the system of American jiu-jitsu to today, the success of these earlier experiments in a smaller man overcoming a larger man by scientific use of whatever strength he might possess encouraged him to make a complete and thorough study of his work. And his work is not extensive by any means, Josh. It's like not good. Like this, the moves they show are far less effective than the triangle Kimura armbar that came from Japan already, but he was like yeah. trying to do it. And he talks about the same stuff that you hear in all jiu-jitsu it's like a smaller guy can beat a bigger guy right. uh, it doesn't really matter your your gender or whatever as long as you know the moves you can be effective with it then he gives them some instructions of how to actually train so like what you're supposed to do how you grab your buddy and hold okay. them they even say the lapels in here this is why this stuck out okay. to me where where is it um what if he said and then you sometimes you grab the lapel and wrap it around your leg <laughs> There's there's a part in here. I read the whole thing. There's a part where he talks about grabbing the lapels, and I got all, all excited. But there's there's what pictures. would you do? What would you do if you saw a picture like that right there, and it just happened to be Warm Guard? What would you do? I'd have to I'd have to come clean and say that I I stole all my moves from this American Jiu Jitsu guy, and then I could finally say that I was like a true American Jiu Jitsu descendant. <laughs> but for some reason, like I the people who. When I talk about this stuff, they really, the general consensus is they think I'm trying to like brand it under my own thing. And it's like me, 
but it's not me. I'm trying to just like, why can't we call it? It doesn't make sense to say that Mikey is an American Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion. It doesn't make sense. You just say, he's, well, who are the American jiu-jitsu world champions? Well, it's Mikey, Jamil, you know, BJ yeah. Penn, Rafael, and who else? Not that many other right. people. So do we call them American Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors? No, we just say they're the American jiu-jitsu competitors. So it really comes yeah. down to like just the the semantics of what we're calling it. And that's all I'm not like, that's all I'm really pushing for. I just want to be able to call it the Americans doing American Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Just, can we just call it American jiu-jitsu so we can talk about the Americans doing jiu-jitsu? What if we just call it jiu-jitsu? Well, that would be great, but everyone calls it Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that creates the confusion. I had a roommate that always would always, uh, when I was in grad school and he would always call it JJ. He'd be like, Hey, what's up? you going to go do some JJ tonight. Yeah. And or I think most people call it jujitsu. Like, Oh, I'm going to go to jujitsu, but the, your, uh, time is your JJ done. And I don't, I don't think it's bad to call it BJJ either. Just like, I don't think it's bad to call it AJJ. Like, why can't we just call it whatever is referenced to by nationality of the practitioner practicing the art, right? So that we can actually just call it what it is, which is just jujitsu because I think grappling is the like universally unpoliticized word. Right. Cause jujitsu. Yeah. Grappling is like all grappling arts. It's all it's wrestling and Sambo right. and which is what Brazilian jujitsu today has is really is. It's the culmination of all those, those movements. So right. we all, we all share techniques. Judo, right. Like, like for instance, you could, you could argue that I double with people in a gi. Like that's a wrestling technique. We'll come back to this. Cause we're talking about this now. Oh, look, am I coming back to him again? I messed it up so the animation got ruined. Bring me back down. I got to bring you back down. Oh, I have to stop sharing screen for it to work. Yeah, there you go. Oh, hey. Oh, hey, what's up? There you are. You're back. (laughs) What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So jujitsu <laughs> like you should have seen this post i have it archived so i can show you but i made such like i thought i made such a good argument for just why can't we just use it for like categorizational terms like how music does for genres not a word categorizational i don't know <laughs> categorizing terms like how cl- there's classical music and then there's like modern genres yeah so there's like genres and classifications and subclassifications of music can jiu-jitsu be in the like kind of the same way so that the people who contribute to the art well, as americans really well yeah player, bottom player uh <laughs> yeah kind of but then like for instance the like leg lockers for instance was obviously a bit like brazilian jiu-jitsu american, was against leg locking would you say america there is a distinction between american jiu-jitsu and brazilian jiu-jitsu do you think there's a stylistic differentiation i don't think like i don't think so yet because it's merged so much already like go watch a a jiu-jitsu match under the ibjjf and look how many aspects of wrestling are involved like wrestling controls that people use or any sort of like like grappling hold that originated from a wrestling move like power halves and using the like ankle traps to get hooks. There's all sorts of wrestling techniques that have been incorporated into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that are taught in, you know, even in like Gracie gyms. In and a it's Brazilian like, Jiu-Jitsu environment. It's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu environment, but it's like, obviously it's a culmination of all these different grappling arts. And those techniques did come from somewhere else. And me, you know me, Josh, I, I consider myself a technique historian. Like maybe, maybe Bruno knows the history of jujitsu overall, but I know the techniques in jujitsu. That's literally what I've spent my life studying over like 15 years of looking up every possible grappling technique that would work in a situation, in a grappling scenario 
that is supposed to result in a submission, that's what I study. That's like my thesis, my life's work of learning is to like learn as many techniques as I can and their origin. So like I, for instance, my reverse and plata that I do, that is from Sambo. Like reverse and plata is a move that was created by Sambo fighters. And it's not called that in Russian. I don't know what it's called in Russian, but it got absorbed by Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But the guy who invented the reverse and plata in Sambo He's probably a badass, and I think that guy should get credit for it, and I think it should be considered a Sambo move, personally. I don't think it should just get absorbed into the conglomerate of BJJ, and that, that's just that's my only issue. Like That's the only reason I talk about it, and that's the issue that people have with me saying it, I think, is like, well, you're just shitting on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like, no, I'm not. I'm just like trying to, like, can we just classify where it came from? People just get upset about it because it's you that's saying it. What did I do? No one would get upset. <laughs> what did I do to anyone? I'm just living my life over here. And then I post small inflammatory comments for attention. Because you're an influencer. And when influencers do influencing in a way that other people don't like, they're going to talk shit. Clearly. So anyways, that's kind of what I was trying to clarify. But my my user base on Instagram could not wrap their heads around that as my intention. And that it my only intention in in the the negative commenters eyes was to claim jujitsu for myself and claim that I have created it all and that it is American jujitsu and therefore Brazilians had nothing to do with it. Like that, that's basically it really what people matter got who created anything. Or it, does it does. Really who does it the best. I think it, I think it does, man. I think it does matter who created something because that like, if you spend your life working on something, right. Which, this is this is a very unique problem that probably only I deal with, and it's just probably why I get so much backlash on it. It's like I put a lot of work into lapel guard, like a lot, like basically everything I do in training all of the time is less about winning the competition and more about improving lapel guard. <laughs> so yeah. I don't want lapel guard to get absorbed into the conglomerate of BJJ like the reversible plata has. Do I have that right? Is it my intellectual property? to have figured that out. That's a good question. Is there any intellectual property in jujitsu techniques? I don't think so. I think the only intellectual property is if it's like you're recorded it and selling it. And in that medium, it is your property, but the technique itself does not belong to anyone. However, if you worry about like legacy is an important thing to people, right? Everyone in martial arts talks about legacy or like they want to build a legacy or something like that's an important part to people. How come Americans whose legacy re- revolves around adapting or creating new grappling positions, how come they have to just forego that and just let it just th- cast it to the wind and let it fall where it may? And if it just becomes Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it becomes that. Like, why can't I differentiate what I do? And what, like, do you think Mikey Musumeci, for instance, like he is, he is the most American? Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor there is. He's pretty American. What yeah. does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> what does that mean? He, he both his parents are American and he was raised in He America. wins. He's the American who wins the most yeah. under IBJJF rules, right? Yes, he holds the most world titles. So he is the, the most American Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor world champion? Or is he the American jiu-jitsu world champion with the most accolades? in grappling competition like how do we like what 
doesn't it doesn't matter no but does mikey deserve to have his contributions to the sport acknowledged or not because he's not winning those techniques with the same techniques that everyone else is using right he's putting his own adaptations on them to barambolo and to his ankle locks and he's adding his own things however subtle they may be maybe it's just subtle little movements in his arm or the way he uses his his little right. you know his body his little body right. like that style and that flow that allows him to beat everyone so dynamically and dominantly that is not an exact copy of no he does it better. Jiu-Jitsu. he does it differently he, he, and better adding value to the technique that he learned from someone else can he proud can he be proud to be an american as at the same time uh, all americans are proud to be american. and can he still pay homage to the people he learned from the ba- he learned the base techniques from that he adapted yes I mean, yeah I, I don't know i guess suppose yeah so then if, when you take it one step further and you look at what moves Mikey has created by himself, like if we get Mikey on the podcast and we ask him, Mikey, what techniques did you create yourself? Like what are your twists and tweaks and turns to positions and what positions did you create entirely yourself? Do you think he would want to be able to take credit for those? I think he would. He would want to be able to say, yeah, that's what I came up well, with. It's like, it's like taking, um, I don't know like taking a video and changing it enough that it's now it's no longer protected under was it copyright or trademark very fair use fair use yeah you can change it a certain degree you have to change it a certain amount and then you can use it as your own right otherwise but, it's not yours yeah and you can you can look at who <laughs> who contributed what throughout jujitsu like you can see what are you saying do you th- it's so interesting. Do you think jujitsu techniques should be protected like as intellectual property? Mm. Ridiculous idea because the sport would be uh, you, you can't because people have to be able to teach the moves and instructors have to be able to watch from the person who made it and then spread it. It's not, not like you don't gain any benefit. That's the thing. It's like people seem to think that you gain some sort of benefit from that beyond well, just said your own personal who, satisfaction. That's why I said, does it matter who created a technique? It doesn't matter because you don't own it. You can't own it. Right. And that's why I'm saying it's an individual problem for me <laughs> that only I'm dealing with because I want to be able to say that I created that because I did. I mean, you did. And I, who refused that? A surprising amount of people send me pictures of someone that. passing the lapel under a, a single leg from the 90s. That's I call that 90s worm guard. <laughs> Is the leg wrapped inside the lapel the way the, with the worm guard? No. No, it's just like, you know how Bernardo does it, where it's like he has half guard, he right. passes the lapel into the leg. Right. That's what existed prior. That was like that, and then what Cobrinha had did with the lapel after that. No, no one had the system of like... The Obviously. I don't think anyone's refuting that. No one says, yeah. I, like, it's very rare for people to tell me I didn't create lapel guard. And if someone did, it's like very obvious that it's not true. But I find it... Worm guard is what you should say instead of lapel guard. Lapel guard is is using lapel to play guard, kind of, right? Like that's yeah. a very, very, very broad term that anyone can misconstrue. For sure. And it, it, that comes down to the naming conventions of it. It's like, what do we what do we call these things? And it's like, how do you develop a, a brand? Worm guard is a specific style of lapel guard. Squid guard is a specific so, style. Something that a lot of, so it's aspiring Americans who. People are going to get upset if you say that you you created lapel guard because you didn't. People were always using lapels to play guard, but you did create the worm guard system, the squid guard system. Well, no, that that's not necessarily true. It's like worm guard in itself, worm guard, reverse Della worm guard, 
a lot of the worm wrestling positions is all 100% me. I just came up with it on my own. But a lot of stuff came from inspiration, just like a lot of art does. It comes from an inspired style of others. So like Squid Guard, for instance, was heavily inspired by Cobrina's uh, La Pella Plata and Roberto Satoshi's Guard. But then I found ways to take those positions where they kind of just stopped and only did like one or two things from there. I went on to find, you know, 10 things or whatever. And then right. incorporate and then find ways to connect that into Worm Guard and the other lapel guards and Gubber Guard and kind of like find ways to connect it all so that it makes sense in people's brains and it doesn't stand by itself. You systemized it. Systemized it, yeah. And it's like, I, I'm i not even like making that, trying to argue that point. Like I always say, talk about like where it came from, like how Gubber Guard, the grip idea came from Jamil and then I added a bunch of things to it and then worked it into the system. And then like Andres created some, uh, or the Polish Worm Rider was created by uh, Mishke or whatever his name is from Poland. And then I added it to the system. There's like a lot of contributors and... Some of those movements I wouldn't call American jiu-jitsu. I, like some of that's Polish jiu-jitsu, right? It's like if Polish, <laughs> like if 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 he if some guy from Poland wins the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world championships, are we going to say he's the Polish Brazilian champion, or are we going to say he's the Polish jiu-jitsu world champion? Doesn't I mean it's like I, I always just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even I guess. I but put the title with the organization. He's the IBJJF world champion. Yeah, and the B in there just happens to represent Brazil. Resilient. Yeah, I guess it's a when it comes down to it, it is a silly argument because it's like there's no one answer and there shouldn't be. It's just like you can you can call it whatever is necessary to get the information across that you're trying to get across. So if I'm trying to get across the information that this is an American guy who practices what is known as Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but then he has techniques that are separate from that that he also utilizes. Can I call that American jiu-jitsu for the sake of getting the information across accurately? Yes. Does it help? That's how, someone, that's how words work. Does it help someone absorb knowledge to know which country a technique came from? Sure, it does. Because you can come to my gym and learn that stuff, and you can't learn it anywhere else. Just like you have to go to the DDS crew's basement to learn their adaptations of leg locks or your adaptations of guillotines like they have to learn it from you can anyone replicate that no not unless they've directly learned from you and regurgitate word for word what you said it's too complex yeah. you like you can try but you can try and it's that that's the thing it's like everyone has a fair shot to try i'm never i'm not going to go and tell someone not to I, teach lapel guard yeah it's like i can't just run out there and replicate mikey's techniques even though like generally i know what he's doing yeah right? like for instance i taught some barambolo on my live stream the other day which is now on my website you. and i i I referenced, you know, how this technique became so effective for a short time and it became less effective due to the, just the, you know, new evidence, but people learn how to defend things. Yeah. But I'm not gonna be able to teach it as well as Mikey or Paulo or Hoffa. Like right. they have their adaptations to it and their details that only they, they know. They know the nitty gritty details. And it's like, if you want to know those details, you have to go to the source. So in, in that, in that regard source is important because otherwise you lose information yes yeah, information is actually lost along the chain of telephone the teaching titling it is not so important right which is why i never put my name on the thing like i could have called it cornelius guard right but that that just sounds gay <laughs> gay how we used it in middle school back when it was okay to say the word you're not careful, allowed to say man, it. careful there man you, that's that's 10 hate messages you got right there. i know i've ruined my social status social standing you own it right away it's okay <laughs> yeah so that's kind of like my view on it and obviously i can't 
I can't get that point across in an Instagram caption, clearly. But <laughs> if anyone were to talk to me about it, I could articulate this right. reasonable basis for why I like, I, I, why I care about it. Well, I used to write really long Instagram posts because I didn't want people to get confused about my intentions. And then you gave me a whole bunch of shit about it. So I started shortening up my posts. And, and now you have all sorts of internet hate problems, right? Yeah, everyone's taking everything I say the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's good to have a long. I think, yeah, you're right. It's communication is important. So if, but so here's the thing I wrote a. You need to lengthen your posting. As well. Yeah. I, well, I wrote a long one this time. I think no one just, just people didn't read it. <laughs> no one read it. They just saw the picture and were immediately But that's furious. their fault, not your fault. Right? They're to blame for it because you wrote it the way it should have been written and you explained it the way it needed to be explained. And if they didn't read it, that's their goddamn Well, what, what it makes me want to do is only, only, the only time I ever want to talk about my ideas is on a long form discussion platform like this. I don't want to talk about them on social media. Social media is for the quick and dirty. It's like yes, social it media is. is not a yeah. tool for communication. It's a tool for self-promotion only. Super like, dirty. It's like for entertainment value and self-promotion. That's what people use it for. Yeah. It's not for trying to actually have a discussion, which is what it's I've kind of what, not a friendly place anymore. Not. It can super be combative. super combative. Yeah. Well, if you, it, well, only if you have discussions, <laughs> <laughs> if you just post some inane bullshit, a picture of yourself in a, in a quote, no one's going to say anything bad about you. I just want to laugh at the people that uh, send me messages and, and ask why I've restricted my comments because I didn't restrict them. I just, you have to be my follower to make comments. And I, if you're not my follower, I don't really give a fuck about your comment. So if you guys want to comment, you have to follow. Okay. So I, I want to, before we transition, I want to finish the, the book and the techniques in here. Cause some of the techniques are kind of funny. Are you still looking at that book? I got it here open. Yeah. Let's just scroll through the images. Just the picture version. We don't have to read it all. Okay. All right. Well, are you going to, are you going to bring me back on so I can see? I um, can't see it. I'm going to hide your face. Okay. All right. I think this worked. Should, oh, shoot. Here we go. Um. Oh yeah. You want to see, right? That's the other It'd part. Be, of it. It'd be nice if I could see your screen. Yeah, that'd be great. Boom. There we go. All right. Should be working. So he talks about some off balances, which is like a concept that only recently has been applied in jujitsu and become more mainstream. Obviously, it's already, already always existed. But talking about Kazushi, which was kind of brought on uh, onto the scene by John Danaher again, because it's from judo um, that this is that's prevalent here. Right. Off balance. He's trapping with the foot as well do you think do you think using japanese names just makes it more sexy i think it makes good? honestly i think it's a good way to capture two of the most powerful things about naming something one like the, the name communicates a lot of information right the japanese name tells you where the submission is happening like on what part of their body and in, in, in a direction and is it like and then like if you speak japanese yeah but what right right yeah well it tells you nothing that's true so it's it's almost like a, a secret language. <laughs> well, not secret, but it's like if you know a little bit of Japanese, like you can communicate a lot. Really funny names for his techniques so that when he shouts them at his competitors at tournaments, yeah. the, the opponent has no idea what's going on. That's incredibly useful, especially when I'm coaching like Judea or something and I just spout off oh, a bunch yeah. of lapel. I just wanted to throw that name out there, huh? Just to get to me. Sorry. Cool. <laughs> Whatever. So it's like when I'm coaching someone who does lapel guard, it's 
useful to be able to know what I'm talking about and they know what I'm talking about when I say, you know, use the, I don't know, Polish worm or something in this, I don't know. I don't even have that many good names for lapel guard moves, honestly. I want to do better at it. But anyways, let's continue. So he goes over some throws, and then there's some gra- more grappling-style t- techniques yeah, let, towards the bottom. The techniques. This is one of my favorite throws he has, though. Look at this yeah, arm what? twist throw. The arm twist throw? Yeah, you grab their hands with cross grip, you twist them, and then you do this outside leg reap. Oh, shit. This is how you know that this guy was making up his own stuff, because you'll never see judo guys use this kind of leg hook it's pretty rare especially behind the knee like that it's mostly towards the ankle then you take them down and then you arm lock them see that arm lock he's got there yeah nice oh here it is grab him by the lapel bro grab him by the coat a woman of normal strength will not have the least difficulty in executing this trick on a powerful man have your partner face you in the usual manner quickly grasp his lapels of his coat and there's more throws. And then it comes down to actual American jiu-jitsu. Here it is. We're on the ground. Oh, we're still back up. He's going back to wrist locks. Some chokes. More throws. Oh, here it is. Ground niwaza. A little bit. He doesn't really get too much into it. There's Here's some. This chicken wing. How did he even get this grip? This is, oh, this is one that looks especially stupid. So he goes arm drag. And then off the arm drag reaches with the other arm to go behind the guy's left arm and then yeah. somehow secures it in one hand. And then that results in the throw to the chicken wing. Oh, could you imagine having your arms pinned like that and then someone throws you? It'd be brutal, but it also would be almost impossible to pull off. So <laughs> the validity of these moves has not been tested. Bro, you'd be surprised. Look, at, I, when people say shit's impossible, I I disagree a lot because... You can grab you. I'm talking about you and me. Uh-huh. If we grab a, a normal person, person. Who has no grappling experience. Yeah, yeah. You could pull off we almost can anything. Literally do anything we want to them. Yeah. So then it's just a matter of skill disparity. Look at his so leg lock. It's the shin on shin toe hold. Oh, that one's brutal. That's a that's that the tibia snapper. Dude, that looks painful. The tibia tickler. Anytime I drop my knee on the inside of my shin, it hurts so bad. So he got some leg locks in here. He's got some throws. He's got some. Very, very basic ground movement and some chicken wings that he adapted himself. You don't really see moves like this in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as much. I used to train with a couple of police officers in, back in Arizona, and they were on the SWAT team. And I used to, they were like blue belts, you know, and I was a brown belt. And I would try to put them on their belly and put their hands behind their back. And we were like live sparring, right? I would like actually force them to do that. And I would chicken wing their arm, and then I would put my knee on their palm on their back. And then I would posture up and I'd reach into my imaginary radio and call for backup. It was really funny. There's some more arm locks. The gravity swing. He has some good names. What is it? The gravity what? The gravity swing. The gravity swing. Okay. Many victories are brought about by taking advantage of the unexpected. A simple trick quickly executed can be made most effective. The following lesson fully demonstrates this principle. We need to learn the gravity swing. Well, let's learn. Have your partner stand facing you and grasp his right wrist with your left hand. Suddenly jerk him towards you so as to carry him forward and off balance. With your right hand, firmly grasp his right arm near the shoulder and step behind him so that your foot is in the back of his right. Force back with your right hand and pull hard with your left at the same time. Swing your foot. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to the spacing there? I don't know. The editor. There's momentum and there's swinging involved. 
I don't I want to either learn the gravity swing as he explains it or I want to create a new movie. He's almost it almost looks like an Americana here. You know what the kids if you watch enough kids Dude, for instance, the Americana, didn't that come from America? Is that why it's called the Americana? Wasn't it like a wrestler move incorporated? I don't know. But um, you know how you ever watch a kid's match and the, like one kid grabs the other kid and literally just starts swinging them in a circle until the other Look, kid... Look, there's even some guard work, the, dude. You know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? When you grab the lapels and they start like swinging around. Yeah, that should be called the gravity swing. That's the gravity swing. Look at this. Look at this sweep he pulled off. Oh, he's hooking like on the outside of the leg and then stomping on the inside of the knee to create a trip. Yeah, I've seen that on the pedal comeback. <laughs> I've seen that technique. In Frequently, as an, an emergency arises that you do not expect, should you suddenly fall or be knocked down, you still have the opportunity to become the victor by quick use of your feet. So this is like okay. his version of guard. Are we done with this yet? And then it goes into knife attacks. Yeah, we're done. Okay. I just um, want to finish up that thought process here. So Uncle Orange Man Trump said that people can... Oh, I got, sorry, I got to let my TV screen come back. Are we back? Okay. Can you change the screen now? Well, the TV's back, but you're not back, so I got to do this. Uh, here we go. So Uncle Donald said uh, we could start reopening, right, in May-ish? Or he put it, sorry, he said the governors can decide, right? And on the list of, of, of businesses that could open, I think, or suggested that. It was listed gyms? Open. I saw gyms, gyms on there, opening gyms. And of course, they're not talking about jujitsu gyms because not everyone thinks of a jujitsu gym when they say the word gym, although they should. Do you think jujitsu gyms will start opening or trying to open May 1st? I think if gyms. And what, would, what would be some good strategies for the gyms to start opening when we are allowed to under the governor's decree? Well, the, I'm sure they'll they'll issue some some sort of guidance on like what has to occur when you're open because this for an for this situation for us to open again it has to be under a set of parameters that does not allow significant close contact well significant outbreaks to occur again and the only way to do that is mask use gloves super cl cleaning social distancing like a lot of that still has to occur and i think when they say gyms they're thinking about that as well so for jiu-jitsu gyms with weights right yeah, they're probably thinking about like weights and cardio equipment and all of that, which is like you still get close up close with other people's sweat on those machines and stuff. So we'll have to see. Yeah, but at the end of the day, if you don't touch your face with your hands, you could possibly massively reduce your risk of contracting something. Yeah. Right? So I was I was trying to th I was thinking about some scenarios of how we could incorporate that into jujitsu, and really, it's like comes no down to I think limiting the amount of partners you train with. Like you have one training partner. I was thinking one training partner, but then me and you talked to that person the whole week. Me and you mentioned you, you mentioned potentially like groups of three would create a, a good dynamic. And if you could kind of like compartmentalize your training groups on a mat to corners of the mat to, yeah, to like areas of the mat and you don't line you up in the same way and you don't train in this corner and you got to stay in that corner. And when yeah. you're done, you got to clean that corner. And then, so also, in, hopefully testing will become more prevalent as well. That'll make a big difference. I have lost hope in testing. It'll happen eventually. Eventually, they'll figure out how to mass produce an easy test. Like, it's just inevitability. It has to happen yeah, on a certain amount of time. Inevitably, but that could be any time.
Yeah, but I think it'll happen before a vaccine. Do you think it's uh, if gyms open, if like 24-hour fitness, you know, LA Fitness, if they open up, if they start opening these gyms, um, do you think it's acceptable for jujitsu gyms to try to open? I think so, yeah. As long as we're trying to like follow the same rules. Can we follow the same rules? We, If we can, then let's do it. Well, a weightlifting gym is so easy, right? Because only one person can use a piece of equipment at a time, usually, right? Yeah. I'm on the press, you're on the squat rack, someone else is over on the, the you know, the lap machine or whatever. So it's pretty easy to stay away from the people. You have to obviously clean the machine before you use it, clean the machine after you use it, and try not to, you know, breathe on anyone. And I'm sure everyone's going to be wearing a fucking mask, which is going to suck big time. Um, obviously, in jujitsu, wearing a mask is pointless, right? I mean, maybe not. <laughs> it probably helps. If, if you're doing jujitsu with someone, you really think the mask is going to prevent any kind of viral spread. Who are we to say, no, dude? We're not I'm experts. No way. What? No way. Well, that's what I'm saying. The only way is to limit your partners. It's the only way. Right. So maybe a good strategy is, okay, let's, we're going to have a group of, let's say, 10 people allowed to train on a mat any given time. Groups of three. Well, I, I don't, I think it's the right. amount of, this is where having mat space is a really valuable thing because social distancing is six feet with each other, maybe 13 right. feet, depending on if, if what metric that you're looking at. Um, if you Not can a lot of have a vast amount of mass. Yeah. Space. So it's more, it's mostly about space between people rather than the numbers I'd say. Cause it's like, well, I mean, I don't know, but that my perception of it is like space between people, making sure that there's minimal contact and keeping everything super, super clean outside of that and wearing masks and doing everything off the situation. I think a lot of people won't want to train like people who are, were scared of I it. Agree. Like people who yeah, have that fear, obviously if someone's high risk, to death from COVID-19, you definitely should probably just stay in your house completely and isolate yourself until there's a vaccine. <laughs> like, don't Absolutely. come out. Like, get ready for some hibernation because yeah, you're going to be in there a while. Kind of health risk, period, should definitely not be going to gyms. Yeah, and I, I think uh, this is another one of the disconnects that happened from, like, the whole polarization of any subject anywhere on the internet. But, like, in the beginning of this, it was a very important thing that everyone took it very seriously. Like, assumed that it was going to be way worse than it is, right? Like if you don't, if you assume that it's going to be not that bad and then people don't take it seriously, then it becomes really bad. That's the nature of viral pandemics, right? Like it's just so contagious that if you just do nothing, it just spreads out of control and then we're dealing with the crazy issues. So everyone had their panic, right? There was, there was panic. There was calculated risk assessment and then it worked together to put everyone under isolation and it is working the 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 curve has been flattened right there hasn't been crazy overflow of hospital beds and a lot of people who are like see we didn't need to do anything in the first place well the reason it didn't it, it didn't happen it is because everyone isolated yeah. it did work it was important that it did work and if we hadn't done that it would have been a lot worse and that's Mission just was a success it was a success so this is great news like it could have been so much worse and we could have been trying to pull ourselves out of a really shitty hole to find ourselves but i in. will say we also could have done better yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's why, like, that's why, like, if, if someone had calculated this threat way ahead of time, which is why the, the CCP is on the freaking table for being responsible for this, because they're the only ones who could have said something earlier and been like, Hey, by the way, this thing has an R naught of 13. <laughs> you guys are uh, fucked. And 
except they said to keep their borders open and do all sorts of crazy stuff that did not help the situation. Anyways, besides the point, how do we get back to doing jujitsu? Well, isolated training partners, like you have your one training partner, you watch the technique, you drill it with your one buddy, and then you roll with just them. Right. That's like, that's the only way to contain it. And then you got to clean the shit out of the mats, which I, right? most gyms already do. Like people, gyms yeah. take mat cleanliness cleaner than a lot of other establishments. What do you think Clean. about having a lot of classes on the schedule and limiting the numbers? So let's say you have a class of 10 people every other hour. So from 10 to 11, there's 10 people on the mat. Well, again, it's, uh, it's not about, the, it's not about the number. Yeah. It's about the mat space. How much can, it's like, how many people can you fit? with safe distance between them. Right. So the number is important based on the size of the mat. Right. But you're saying 10, but it really should be based on the distance. Like if you can, f well, you fit as many people in the mat, class, small numbers. If you have a huge mat, you can have bigger numbers. But I mean, like, maybe, example, I don't know. This is all speculation, but I think as time goes on, we'll have a more clear idea of what can and can't be done. Yeah. So I, okay. So 10 people can maybe train for an hour. And then you have an hour off. That's like the cleaning hour. Everyone's got to clean everything. Maybe another 10 people come in the afternoon. They uh -huh. do their thing. They stay in their corners with their individual partners. Well, the problem, with, the problem with that is that only allows for 20 people in the morning session and the well, night session, which is the only time people can train because they have no. work in between. What do you know? What do you, no one has work right now? That's what I'm saying. You can, you can, after, no, this is talk, we're talking about this people. after we, the, we open up again. I thought that's what we were talking about. But I don't think everyone's going to go right back to work right away it's that's the whole are. point the people who well people who don't have jobs aren't going to be coming to jiu-jitsu class because jiu-jitsu is expensive <laughs> i mean that's not necessarily true yeah that's, that's not, it, it isn't the case yeah a lot of people for gyms for gyms yeah. as businesses like we're speaking to like gym owners here the people who are training at the gyms you have to I'm like speaking, i'm speaking to everyone you're speaking to everyone i'm trying to come up with ideas as a gym owner for other gym owners who have to make the decisions of how the trainings are going to be run Let's talk about the best ways to do it, right? You don't think that the general public is pretty flexible with their schedule right now? From owning a gym and seeing how that. class sizes vary based on time, it's definitely people are more likely to come to class yeah. at three times a day, before work, during lunch, and after yeah. work. So it basically right. leaves you open to like... Morning. 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. classes, a noon class, and a night class. And if you're only limiting a certain amount of people into those classes, the people who aren't allowed, when can they train? You're just like, it's like cutting them off. So how do you get past that problem? I don't think it's going to be a big issue because I think a lot of people are going to be afraid to come back to train. A lot of people are not going to want to come back right away. I don't think so. I think most jiu-jitsu people are like. And then, listen, and then a lot of people can't come because they have their kids at home for the rest of the year. Oh Which yeah, awesome. that's true. Massive. Perfect. Honestly, it's like such a mess. We kind of just got to sort it out as we go. It's good to talk about it beforehand. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. We got to talk about it. So I, I, think, I don't think there's going to be a massive flow of people back into the gyms. I think it's going to be a slow yeah, trickle. it's going to be slow. I think competition teams might be able to start training earlier than other people because they're smaller groups. And like, I think if it's based on the guidelines, which I think is all we can really go off of is just based off guidelines. If they say you can't... Uh, congregate in numbers of over 10 then yeah you do what you're saying and you just try and fit as many 10 people like that's if you don't have to worry about space then it is easier because it's like oh it's just about a numbers game so it's like you can have 10 people whatever you want or is it 10 people social you're distance so you're breathing so hard and you're just going to be breathing like all that 
potential. You're not you're you're, you're not you're not really uh, giving us a good platform to <laughs> argue just upon. Out ideas. I'm just these are the things I'm thinking about. I think I think you definitely should not go into a gym unless you're assuming the risk of a contracting your uh, the virus. Like you should not if you if you don't want it, don't go. Period. You shouldn't go anywhere if, you go, if you're at risk. If you go, you have to assume that you have a chance of getting it, and you have a chance of spreading it, and you have a chance of bringing it to your family and whatever. You have to assume that risk. I think everyone needs to put a big fat sign on the door. Well, isn't isn't the original idea behind this whole thing is like we're not trying to stop everyone from getting it and that it was almost like going to be a flu type thing where about 60% of the population get it anyways. The only purpose of isolation is just to not make it catastrophic to the healthcare system and the everything involved in that, which would create serious issues beyond just virus patients and other people who need to use the emergency room for accidents or other pre-existing conditions. Right. Like that was the whole point. No one ever tried. To, no one's ever saying that like, if you isolate yourself, it's going to go away. That's not the thing. It's like we isolate ourselves to stop this initial crisis because we don't don't know what's going on. But it, let's at least make sure the hospitals don't overflow. And now that we have a better bearing on what's happening, we kind of transition into like the future of how this plays out. It's like testing, masks, and a potential that 60% of the population might get it over a course of time until a vaccine is applied. And that's like the, what has been being said since the beginning by epidemiologists right um i remember i asked you on the last episode that we didn't post um if there is a vaccine would you be in line to take it let's say next month next month they have an experimental vaccine experimental vaccine next month no no like next month i, I i'm gonna be using my ppp still yeah making it through this yeah but also like right. vaccines also to think about, it's like vaccines have to go to the people that are high risk first, because if you, as long as you vaccinate the high risk people, then it becomes much less of an issue. Like, I, am I worried for myself about getting this and dying? Not really. I hope yeah. I don't. But like the whole thing yeah. was to protect people who are vulnerable and then protect the people who would be subsequently vulnerable by not ha be, having access to a hospital because they're overcrowded. But so in maybe a, if when the if vaccine the actually comes open. out and goes through the whole FDA process, yeah, I would do it. So when the gyms do open, you definitely should just assume that you're a carrier and definitely treat the rest of your life as if you have it. And you're not definitely not anything. You, De you can't say definitely. What? You said definitely. You can't say definitely. It's not definite. No, just assume that, though. Act like that. Pretend. Well, most people aren't carriers until they get. People, that's what they're telling people to do now. They're telling people to you just act like you have it, even if you don't. Well, have yeah, it, you don't now have it. you have to assume you do have it, right? Yeah, that's but that's what, to that's make sure that people stay indoors and don't fuck off and like the spring breakers did. Like you have to the just, assumption that we all have it. That is not a good right? assumption because not everyone has it. Otherwise, the hospitals well, would be overflowed. No, of course not. But that's what I'm saying. You have to act in a way that like you have it. So you have to be very careful so that you don't spread it in case you do have it because you don't know. Yeah. And that's an incredibly constricting place to be in, which is why there's severe economic ripples ahead of us that have to be mitigated as well as the virus mitigation. So it's the balancing act of where, what can we get away with? Because that's what it's going to come down to is what can the, what can we get away with to make money while not endangering the general public? And that's like the balancing act that 
the administration has to deal with, right? So we kind of just have to wait for the rules, the guidelines. And it's like, those are the guidelines. That's what you got to do. You got to follow the guidelines. And going outside the lines here is not a good idea. Like, just stay within the lines. Do what you have to do to survive and be and feel comfortable monetarily and physically and mentally and don't take unnecessary risk and go grapple your Dude. grandma <laughs> you know i mean going to the jiu gym is kind of an unnecessary risk unnecessary for some people for me, yeah for me it's a necessary risk yeah well also you're like like i said younger fitter people are at less risk so it's a yeah. lower risk well, I mean, I also live with two other jujitsu guys and we don't really have contact with any other humans. I would imagine we would just go to the gym, train, and then come back and that's it. And maybe go to the grocery store sometimes whenever we need to. So it's a pretty low risk situation for me. I don't have, I don't have contact with my family. I don't have contact with anyone older than Right, me. but you need, need to, to but Josh, to you're not them. thinking, what about like seminar? Like you're a perfect example of a jiu-jitsu athlete who makes money off of instruction and yeah. your jiu-jitsu skills. You taught, but that wasn't your primary source of income, teaching, right? It was most, or teaching at autos, for instance. It was mostly from seminars mm-hmm. and your personal, you know. Autos is like 5% of my income. Right, so it's like mostly comes down to how do you make money? Well, you need to do seminars. Are seminars right. going to be on the table here? Probably no, not. Right. So yeah. what can you do? Well, people like the only thing that needs to happen for the jiu-jitsu industry to stay alive is people need to be able to train with at least one person. If you can train with just one person, the jiu-jitsu industry can stay alive. It's like as long as you have someone to challenge yourself against and experience the problem-solving issues of jiu-jitsu where it's like you don't know what to do so you have to learn from someone who does know what to do that's how the industry stays alive if people can't train then the industry dies and we all go with it because how are we supposed to teach jiu-jitsu to people who don't need to learn it because they can't train so it's like that's the balancing act where do you stand do you want to do you want to be extra 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 super safe or do you want to talk, talking to me Josh, yeah, i'm talking to you myself, talking to you my boy. opinion what do you want to do? Um, it's going to, it's going to come down to, it'll open. I'm going to go train. Yeah. So I think most jujitsu people feel that way because it's going to be like a voluntary, like I know this is a a risky endeavor, but I want to do it. But I'm just going to grab my one buddy, SR and go to the corner and we're just going to do our own thing. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. The the salute is doing the class is doing him. Him and I are going to do that when it's, if we do some rolling, then I'm just going to roll with him. And then I'm going to assume that I've contracted the virus and I'm going to act, (laughs) I'm just going to act like I have it all throughout the rest of the day and try not go anywhere else. I'm just going to come back home. home. I'm just going to do my own thing and stay, stay isolated. The thing, once this, once this isolation ends, there will, there will be a period of time where it's like, it would take time for it to ramp up again. That's how it works. It's like when you suppress it enough that, the exponential growth factor almost resets, right? It like goes, there's a fewer amount of cases to the point that it would yeah. take time for them to build up the momentum to where it hit us. Like last time where it starts, the doubling effect becomes more noticeable on a larger scale. So there'll be a downturn and then there'll be a potential situation in the future where cases rise with better monitoring. And then they might be like, whoa, everyone chill out for a second. It's getting crazy again. Tone it down, re-isolate. So what happens to said jujitsu academy that opened 
uh, let's say they open on May 15th. They get another right? PPP P check and they hunker no, down let's say, for a little let's bit. Say, let's say gym opens up on, on, let's say your gym opens on May 15th. Let's say you gave it a two. Don't use my gym as an example. Okay. Let's use, uh, what's the gym from that dodgeball? Use your gym as an example. Average Joe's gym. You know your gym better than mine. Average Joe gyms open up and let's say they waited till May 15th, give it a few extra weeks just to be safe. They open up, they're training for about a week, and then boom, one of the students contracts COVID and they're sick, sick as fuck. I would imagine the ad entire gym has to shut down again. Yeah. Everyone, everyone who went in that gym, assume you have it. Everyone has to get quarantined. Assume your families have it. Yeah. Everyone has to assume they have it. And yeah, it's in it's in gym's it. best interests to not let that happen. And the only the the way to do that is to limit training partners. But that's that's tough. That's a tough situation, right? You want to open, you want to bring your students back in. But no one's if, saying if this if shit's a easy. Person who trains there comes down with that virus, comes down with COVID. Yes. The whole gym will shut down. However, it is there's not as many cases as there could be. Like for instance, San Diego, have you looked at what the amount of cases? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, it's slowed significantly. That especially for California, apparently the isolating method was very, very effective. High, high population density areas definitely got hit much harder. And because California is so spread out, that must've been a contributing factor. Um, so the likelihood of that happening at the, the reopen is pretty slim in our area in New York. Mm -hmm probably they're going to have to be a lot more careful. I mean, California does have a lot of cases compared to the other states because we have a lot more people. We don't have that many cases compared to, like California is one on the lower end of the list as far as like issues. Percentage maybe, but San sure, Fran yeah, and LA were the other two hotspots after. And, uh, Seattle, no, no, and no, no, no. The, they, the, the hotspots of New York was the worst. Then yeah, it was yeah. Louisiana. Uh, Michigan was an issue. There was a few, uh, California actually like it, California was like a potential, like, Oh shit, California has these infections. And then it just like kind of leveled off. It would, it became not an issue as far as like rapid spread. Like it did in the East coast, the East coast got hit way harder because their population density is so well, I let's look it up, bro. Let me show you some, let me show you some numbers. I read somewhere that there were different strains. Oh yeah, they, well, viruses mutate over time. There's three apparently. Right. Type so A, B, and C. Coast got hit harder with the strain that Europe got hit with, which I guess was a worse strain. That's what I heard. I don't know. I could be wrong. And then there, there was a West Coast strain that came from Asia. I don't know. I'm just regurgitating things that I've heard. There's a lot of a lot of situations here. A lot to. We don't really have to dive into it. Okay. Um, for, for instance, we're, San, we're San Diego has 63 deaths. Los Angeles has 500 deaths. And those have been pretty low. Like they haven't been increasing much. I think San Diego had its last death two days ago. And then it's it, there hasn't been a death in two to three days. And I'm not sure about the other, other cities. But for instance, New York. Um, Anyways, doesn't matter. I mean, it matters. I can't find New York City. It's too. We don't need to dissect it. New York City, just New York City, 127,000 confirmed cases with 13,000 deaths. So when you look at New York City compared to San Diego with 63 deaths and 2,000 confirmed cases, like you can't compare those two places. And that's why 
when you talk about reopening, it's not going to be across the whole country at the same time. It's going to be areas that did better, stay closed the same amount of time, but then they potentially open sooner because it's less of a threat. Anyways, yeah, we're running out of time. Uh, we didn't have a sponsor for this podcast, this episode, did we? No. But I mean, we do, um, but we just didn't communicate with them to get it set up. I like to go, I always give a shout out to my friends at Jugo Play, the jujitsu card game. You guys should check that out on Instagram at Jugo Play. And there's a website. And there's a discount code. If you want to buy a pack of the playing cards, it's called uh, Mapburn. Well, now that we have a better setup for future podcasts, because I like having you in this little TV screen here, and I might change it over time and have you in different settings, but... Yeah, it only um, took us like six tries to get it figured out. It's harder than it looks, okay? The tech, technology is difficult. Hey, I appreciate your tech savviness. I'm glad that I hired you. You got to remember, everything I do in relation to technology, I have to look up YouTube tutorials for before I do it and then have to execute it. So it's all a learning process. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I taught myself how to write in Chinese. That's what I did. That's the skill that I came I, that I really? gave myself during this quarantine. That's incredible. Can you read so in Chinese easy. now? It's really easy. Okay, but can you read? So you can write in English and Chinese well, is what you you're saying. It, you can read it. You can't do one without the but other. But you can. But it's like you can write English words in Chinese. Like you have a corresponding no. alphabet for Chinese lettering for the American for the English alphabet. No, the Chinese characters are completely. They're. It's just art. It's based on this is a character that represents this, but they're really interesting because they're based on actual things like they like they were like oh here's the character for a uh, cow and then they okay they then you don't know how to write in chinese bro how are you supposed to write anything how do you know all those those letters you don't know they're not letters they're characters you they, don't know all the characters no i don't i know oh. like 200 maybe oh, okay but so that's what you've been you studying can, you can actually communicate with about 200 characters like you, you're like an eight-year-old child if you that's know pretty good that's not yeah, bad at all. Yeah, but they're really interesting because they build on each other. So once you learn the base characters, like for example, the character for person is one thing. And it's actually funny because it's like they show you how it's actually, it looks like a person. Like, and they break it down. Like, see, like in back in the day, they thought a person looked like this when they're walking. So they drew the character <laughs> like this. And then the word follow is simply two of those characters for per, a person. It's person written twice but that is the word for follow because it's one person following another and then if you put a third one over the top of it that's the word for crowd so like when you learn one like it's like the word for mouth is just like it's a square all right dude i'm gonna be honest with you i don't care well it's about learning these i'm just saying it is cool go dude so i gotta run fine that's why that's why i said that i don't actually not care i just have to go how can we leave a positive message to the people look guys the world is a tense fucking place right now it's tense everyone's on edge everyone has this bottled up pent up energy and i can just see it i see it when people communicate with each other everyone's just biting each other's heads off that's why we got to figure out how to do jujitsu as soon as as possible but i think if if possible everyone needs to give each other a, a break okay just understand that the way you're reading something that someone wrote might not be the way you're interpreting it, right? And and try not to assume the worst when you read something. Like, try to establish it in your brain, whatever it is that you're reading that pissed you off. Make take a second and and really 
analyze whether you are just looking at it for the worst possible explanation or if you can reframe that thing in your mind so that you're less pissed off and you're less inclined to bite that person's head off. Like, fuck, man, we need to give each other a, a break. Like everyone's just biting each other's heads off because we all have different, different understandings of what's happening in the world. And none of us knows it all. None of us. No Josh. one knows it all. No one has the answer. No one has the solution. So I, I just think everyone needs to fucking take a breath and and try to it's give each other a little slack, right? That's all I'm saying. Thanks like, for that. There's enough, there's, enough, there's enough fucking hate in the world. Like we're all suffering. We're all frustrated. We're all upset. We're all anxious. We're all worried about our futures. Josh, do me a favor and post this on your Instagram because I have to go. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I have to make that clear to you. I need to leave. All right, all right, all right. Go, go. Get out of here. All right, everyone. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for coming to our podcast. We're back. We're going to be better about it as usual. But just not so really. everyone knows it's Keenan's fault that we've been so lax about these episodes. It's not my fault. Okay, blame. It, it would. It's also your fault because you don't know how to use technology. So it's the burden is left to me to figure it out, and it is difficult. So it is our fault, as most Fine. of the world is. Uh, it's a it's a group effort to create these situations. So <laughs> goodbye, yeah. everyone. Thanks for coming. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Keenan Cornelius at Hinger BJJ. Josh has products. You can find them on the internet by searching Josh Hanger's instructionals and whatever website pops up, go to that one and use his discount code. <laughs> what is the, what's your discount code for websites that they find you on? Uh, pretty much always it's Hinger BJJ. Hinger BJJ. And then I have a website. It's called KeenanOnline.com where I teach all sorts of great instructional content and funny videos like how to spar with a hoodie on or street jiu-jitsu, or knife defense, and also normal sport jiu-jitsu as well. All right, goodbye everyone, thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that video. If you wanna make sure to never miss the latest jiu-jitsu technique uploads from this channel, hit the subscribe button, and there's also a notification bell that you can ring to make sure that you get all the notifications for everything that we do here on the channel. And bonus round, there's a text number that you can text. Go ahead and just text the word Keenan to this number and you'll get the grappling handbook which is a guide i'm putting together to teach you how to get the most out of your training it'll include flow charts and technique illustrations and all sorts of little tips and tricks that'll help you get more out of your time on the mat and it's information that you probably won't be able to get through just a youtube video it's a little more involved i would say